Welcome to Lizard Brain Radio, the bi-weekly podcast for the lizard lovers of herpeticulture. I'm your host, Bill Bradley, and this is your Brain on Lizards. And we're live. Awesome. Hey, Lance, you're like 20 minutes early, man. I, I enjoy the enthusiasm, though. Uh, episode 52. Hopefully you guys got the reference to the movie The Crudes, if you have kids. Uh... Grandma yells, still alive at the start of every day, and the dad gets upset. thought it was funny. Well, we have one eyeball. So, yes, I am still alive. Uh, I am still doing it. Uh, had, apparently, people were asking Justin uh, if I had stopped doing the podcast, which is a reasonable question. Um, I was gone for a good chunk of the summer. My day job... Um, has deployments attached to that and I participated in quite a few of them this summer and I didn't have reliable internet and I didn't want to book episodes with guests and then have to ask those guests to reschedule and and things like that and kind of inconvenience them because I could just take my laptop and go and then it I would get someplace and maybe it wasn't reliable uh, and so I, I felt bad always having to ask them to reschedule so I just kind of put everything on pause and now I am back to more or less uh, normal days off. And so we will be able to, every other Sunday, continue the way we were doing before uh, and have a pretty, pretty set schedule through the new year for me, uh, all of which is subject to change, depending on what's going on in the world uh, and uh, in our country. So I have a little bit of a weird career path that has nothing to do with reptiles so it uh can be variable at times uh thank you for the welcome backs yeah i it's weird like i know lizard brain wasn't around but like i was paying attention to thp and paying attention to snakes and stogies so i don't feel like i was all that gone um because i could still listen to all the same stuff that we all listen to as a group if you're kind of in the social group of THN and NPR and stuff like that, uh, I would still be able to hear all those episodes when I was on my commute or whenever you guys listen to it. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't feel all that removed despite the fact that I wasn't doing my own episodes. Um, so yeah, it'll be cool to be back in the mix of things already messaging some of the guys about coming on, uh, aligning guests back up and everybody's been super cool. I've had quite a few people message and ask, uh, making sure everything was was okay. Uh, everything is okay. It wasn't bad stuff. Uh, it was work, so that's that's a good thing. Um, and I actually I put it in the show notes there, the little blurb that pops up before the episode. But I'm able to see the stats and stuff uh, for my episodes and for the show, and they actually continued uh, week by week. And I had some new people message me and ask me things. Uh, about old episodes as they were listening through the catalog and stuff like that. So it's actually really cool uh, that I was able to, you know, I still had messenger and, and stuff like that. So I was able to interact with folks uh, just in a little bit uh, different way. So that was really neat. So I'm, I'm glad that those folks found it. And even some of them were like, Hey, I, I chewed through 50 episodes. Are you going to continue? So that was pretty neat. Uh, that was a really cool thing to hear, actually. And we have 
eight eyeballs on this and some folks already in the live chat. So if you saw the thumbnail for this episode, uh, my son Walter has already asked me if that was the best thumbnail for an episode that I've ever had. Uh, because I, I made it him, obviously, with a lizard. Um, I did that because I, most of you guys know, but if you're new to this whole thing, you might not. Um, I am in an apartment in Pennsylvania, and my family is in Illinois. And for work, I crash pad out here. I work a lot closer to D.C., and then I get home uh, actually pretty often, which is cool. But, of course, if I was deploying this summer and couldn't do episodes for you guys. I probably wasn't home nearly as much either. Uh, and they have continued the CBX shows and all the summer festivals and all the stuff with the reptiles and are absolutely crushing it. Uh, so I made the thumbnail, a picture from the Cold Black Exotics Facebook page, which is Walter uh, squinting through the sun, hanging out at a summer festival with one of our bearded dragons on a table. Um, Walter and Indy and Milana helped Teresa with all the shows and had just as full of a summer schedule as we've ever had, uh, minus me for a big chunk of it. So they were doing tons of stuff on their own and still are uh, cranking out shows. Teresa has shows booked like for the rest of the year. Right before I got on here, we I was scrolling through requests for 2024 all the way to like next fall, uh, which is crazy. So that part of our reptile stuff continues um my see teresa indian walter all three went to narbc today uh they saw a handful of thn folks i got my uh dr crawdad books he signed for me teresa facetimed me a little bit while they were there uh so that was cool and picked up all the random things we always pick up a lot of invertebrates um yeah my scheduling is a little ridiculous <laughs> Um, I, I drive a little bitty commuter car and I, I always have, uh, because of my job and, uh, it is, it's got some miles. So that's, that's probably my next, my next big expense will be reptiles. It'll be a freaking car. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. So Dr. Loafman has his book. Uh, you can order, I believe you can still order directly from him or you can order from Russ Gurley. Uh, they did a special run of signed and numbered copies and then he has the regular run of, of hardback books uh just like any normal run of books uh, and he was at narbc this weekend signing them and he was at russ's table and, and doing all this stuff <laughs> and the epic time they had at vivtech i actually um had friends uh who were right next to jason hood's table and we were all messaging about that and they shared a little video like on their Instagram story or something. And that's what I told my kids was, oh, my friend's table is facing directly out at VivTech. You guys always go there and that's like your anchor spot. So you'll you'll definitely see them. Um, yeah. And if you guys actually thank you, Anne, for bringing up the VivTech thing. Um, if you guys saw on basically all of my social media platforms, I uh, did the black box video. Teresa put all that together for me, and I finally got that out for you guys. And that is full of Arcadia lights and VivTech UV. So that was actually really cool. 
Uh, Erica had your phone where you're watching me from dinner. Yeah, that is uh, the typical Tinley Park thing. I missed the uh, auction and then piling into my van, throwing cabbages at each other and typically going to Buffalo Wild Wings and asking if they were cool for a table of, I don't even know what we had last time, like 30, something just absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, I'm, my whole family is really fortunate. Like We live probably... I don't know, 45 minutes from Tinley Park. So NARBC is kind of our, is actually our local show, which is pretty cool. Uh, in October, of course, for those of you guys who aren't from the Midwest or, or don't follow the show circuit, um, the October Tinley Park is like the quote unquote big one. Uh, they're both actually very large shows, uh, but October is a, a pretty big deal. And it's usually when they get the most vendors from, nationwide as opposed to March is still a big show, but a lot of it is more localized to the Midwest. Uh, October, you see a lot of folks from just literally everywhere. It's really cool. Ryan says, Hey, big sexy. Yeah. Hey, I'm on his track though, man. I'm, I'm slimming down. There's less, there's less sexy to be had. I'm, I'm following the Ryan McVeigh. Get a little slim, get your I don't have any spangly jeans though. I can't, I can't do the sparkly jeans. I'll leave that to him. It goes with his fancy laser lights that him and Eric are putting out to the world. Um, no, I, I love their stuff. Um, and for real, when I did the black box video, I hope that you guys uh, got to see that. And the, that video, I wanted to show you guys the actual build process for the black box, because the first ones I got, I actually met them at a show and got um, already assembled enclosures and I really loved them and they were cool. And I understood the process. They were CNC'd and they were cut for the lights that I had asked and all these different things and got the cages and you know, the doors are cool. I, I really dig these hinges. Uh, you know, I really like their stuff, but uh, it all was already done for me. And then progressed through the year. Uh, they are super involved with the network and, and sponsor us and all those things. And so we're talking to them and, oh yeah, hey, we flat pack stuff and send it out and all these different things. And a lot of people have been raving about that. It was really cool and, and they really seem to like it. So this time when I got mine, um, I had it shipped out. India and I couldn't make it to that show in Georgia. They shipped everything, did the flat pack, all the stuff they'd been talking about. Uh, and I got that and it, it's super cool. Uh, I, I said it in the video, but if, if you like to put stuff together and like the click of the puzzle piece, I don't know if, if you're a nerd, you're into that, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're not, you think I'm crazy, but I show it in the video of the, like the, the pieces coming together to where that, that enclosure is like without the screws basically put together and fits and, you're not like, I don't, if you guys ever do woodworking or things like that, and you, when you, that final turn to the screw when you're torquing it down, you feel it pull the wood together. Like if your cuts aren't that great or you feel that tightness, um, the, when you're doing this, it's, that feeling is still there, but it's very small because the, it's so tight and the tolerances are so well done that that has already been accomplished when you click those pieces in. And so that screw setting in there is literally just to set 
and keep things in place. So when you're wobbling and, and things like that, I, man, I was super impressed. Um, I, I talked about it in the video. It was really cool, but on the VivTech subject, uh, part of the way I have that set up, uh, that actually the folks at black box asked me about because they weren't used to that. And they were worried that like, Hey, had we been telling people something wrong? Cause you like, you're the lizard guy for, for the network and you're asking for something different. So what's the story? So what I did was I have an Arcadia lamp holder on each side. And then across the center is an Arcadia uh, LED, regular jungle dawn, uh, full spectrum light for plants. And what I wanted to do and, and ended up doing is I have a DP projector on one side and a VivTech UV on the other side. And my thought process for that is uh, I ended up with a stack, there's a stack of four and I have, what I ended up with is a, a snake on top and then three different lizards. And I want to, for those particular species, uh, they are all very commonly kept without UV. Um, <laughs> um, and so my thought process was I have seen a, a huge number of my animals are under VivTech products. And really for UV, that's, I think, everything we have UV is VivTech now. But I, I have used all sorts of things in the past. And I, I know that I have species that seek it out. And so I wanted to separate the two. And the it's 12, it's 12 hour light cycles and the deep heat projectors are on a thermostat. And then the UV is going to run uh, 10 to two every day. And so I will be able to observe, Hey, eight to eight, they have light. Cool. Things that are going to come out in the day and do their thing. I know, I know, I can see what's going to happen. This thing's going to crank on, kick it up to 85 in this spot. I've used structure and, and have some different substrate and different substances underneath of that heat that'll warm up or not, depending on the species. So I can see how they utilize that. They're going to warm themselves up. Cool. 10 to 2, that thing kicks on. And if you watch that lizard or you watch that snake go over there, they're seeking it out. Right. And so I'm, my intent there was I set up those enclosures purposely to observe these things. Um, I, I mean, the animals I feel are getting as good a care as they can get, but I, I want to be able to deliver that care in a way that lets me see the things that I'm looking for, as opposed to, like we have cyclura and we have uromastics, we have a big green iguana and things like that. Those animals, I those things are are not separated. They are for the green iguana just because his enclosure is so large. But the those animals that I know through our standard of care currently have got to have UV or they develop problems. I blast them. Okay, cool. Well, these other species that not everybody is doing that with, I don't just blast them. I give them an option. 
okay, well, if they start using it all of the time, well, then I'm, I'm going to start to manipulate how I offer that. And I think that how the enclosure is set up allows me to do that. And then they're not like ultra specific. This They're four by two, but they're only 18 tall. And so I was able to get a, a really serious hotspot underneath of that DP projector if I chose to, or I could back it off. Uh, same thing with the UV, if I can build up to it or, or back off and as I choose. Um, and so I think that that is kind of a bland enough footprint that it allows me, I could start to manipulate what's inside of there and I can change species out. Like, oh, hey, the blue tongue uses it hour or two a day. Maybe he doesn't care. All right, well, so who, what else do I got? What is, what does the legless lizard do? What is the, what do my monitors do? I know for monitors, it's a huge deal. Oh, we don't need UV. Oh, yes, we do, right? So I actually want to be able to play with it uh, and and see what I can come up with, see what I can observe. Uh, I This is Lizard Brain Radio. I get it, right? But I have a super diverse collection of reptiles, so I talk about other stuff all the time. Um, the one I'm actually most interested in watching how uh, she uses it is my hog island boa because uh, she came to us uh, through the rescue route. So a little bit of a beat up face kind of thing. Uh, but the, she's awesome. Like adult full size, not hog islands are smaller than red tails in general, but for a hog island, good size boa, a beautiful colors, like great. But I had not kept her under uv until now and so i set up this enclosure to where i know she'll just cook under that dp projector all of my uh, large snakes have seemed to really enjoy enjoy whatever they utilize more often um radiant heat panels these dp projectors I, i've had a lot of success with those and now i want to see uh how whether or not i think she will but whether or not she seeks out uh, the UV and then how that starts to affect things. Because um, thinking about where they're from and where a lot of these Caribbean uh, smaller quote unquote dwarf uh, boa subspecies and, and these insular species, they're just getting blasted. I mean, just like Cyclura, like what, what do you do all day? Oh, I sit out in this bare tree and I wait for birds to come twice a year and I gorge myself. And the rest of the time, I just hope to not get swept away by a hurricane. Like, oh, okay. Well, like you're, those things are probably getting baked. So I'm, I'm very curious to see if she will seek it out or if she will just go do boa things and then the UV happens or it doesn't. Uh, because like, our cyclura the the big rhino iguana he basks he wakes up basks gets just like a monitor gets to operating temperature and then goes and does whatever it is he wants to do dig stuff up knock stuff over eat things whatever um and he's moving in and out of the uv and the heat like he doesn't care like when he's just cooking whatever it is uh really the same way as the year a lot of our herbivores same way as the uromastics you know, they, they wake up, they just get blasted and then they run around and dig and eat and push rocks over and, and do all these things in and out of the UV, in and out of the heat. They don't really, 
it's it's whatever and then they'll eat get a little fat and then just cook go do some stuff then the lights go out cool we're done and then we start over um i'm very curious to see how snakes in in what i think are similar environments will do you know are they are crawl k boas and you know uh weird little aruba island rattlesnakes and all these weird little snakes from these crazy sunblasted islands are they running around like the lizards are are they hiding from it are they especially like you think about some of those boas eating seasonally with the migratory birds they kind of have to be exposed all the time because they got to be out they, they have to be out where those birds are present because that's the only way you're getting your food so i'm wondering if they're gonna operate a little bit more like a cyclura and just i do what i do and that the sun happens to be out and blazing as opposed to you know more of my cryptic baskers and things like that where i'll move underneath the leaves or i'll move in the shadow of this plant and i might stick out my tail for some heat but i'm not going to put my face out there like there's there's definitely a huge difference in in their behavior um so i'm super happy with the black box enclosures and i'm, I'm really excited to see how um all this light and heat and weird ideas i have play out going forward ryan has a new 365 nanometer uva flashlight to help people see how the animals do that would be gnarly that would be very cool I think that would be fun to have a lot of, th I'd, not a lot. I wish I had more and, and would like to in, increase our number of herbivores, but I'm very curious to utilize UV light on fruits and flowers to see how that is affecting things. Um, because that's like that's a thing we tell people right like oh our iguanas and our tortoises and stuff like red orange or yellow man they're gonna you know they'll come get strawberries or they'll come get bananas and and whatnot and it's is that scent driven is it sugar and water driven is it looking at it like bees where the flowers are sparkly and the parts that you should land on so they know where to go like i wonder how i would love to know how that is affecting or how their vision is affecting their choices uh, in that regard. I feel like a lot of it for our iguanas and tortoises in my current situation, it feels um, vision and scent driven. I think they're looking for sugary things um, a lot like humans, right? But we have had instances where we have, you know, a pile of strawberries and a pile of greens and the redfoots and stuff are just smashing around and the iguanas will go for the greens uh, and they'll eat strawberries along with it, but like they've made other choices. So I, I'm very curious to see how that works. And then on the, it would also be fun on the insect front because Ooh, that could be really fun to play with because we get people that 
people talk a lot about insect variety and arthropod variety in foods. And a lot of desert geckos, desert lizards, they eat spiders. They eat a lot of spiders. Uh, and quite a few things in well that I have experienced with in North America eat a lot of scorpions too. But um, a lot of desert things consume a lot of spiders. And I am wondering if that is not a an effect of coincidence, as in, oh, you're out here chasing bugs? I'm out here chasing bugs too, and I'm bigger than you are. So I'm going to eat you. You know, or is it... Do they look different? Are they easier to find? I'm in the desert. The desert nocturnal thing, I kind of think, is probably a cause of coincidence in that we're both hunting the same thing. I'm just kind of better at it and bigger than you. So I'm going to eat you there, spider, and then I'm going to eat what you were eating also. Just kind of a two for one deal. Uh, but in the things that hunt in the daylight like oh man that that would be fun to play with chameleons because especially you talk about an animal that clearly requires uv seek we know they seek it out and then we know that they have very specific vision so to mess with a flashlight like that on different prey choices for insects that could be super cool because then you can start to now we're going to go off on, the, on our nerd tangent. Now you can actually make a real experiment, right? You can offer your variety of arthropod prey to your chameleons. Okay, well, here are the things that they chose, the order that they chose them in, the percentages they, you know, they like these better, this, that, and the other. And then you can take those choices, start to mess with lights on them, and document your observations. Okay, so under my useless human eyeballs, this is what crickets and grasshoppers and silkworms and so on and so they all look like this. And then here are the things I observe with a UVA flashlight semi mimicking chameleon vision or this other creature's vision in, in a way that I'm capable of. Dude, that could be super cool. You guys got to stop inventing nerd stuff i i have so many nerd things <laughs> I have a lot of nerd things that's going to be awesome i think that yeah that's like a whole other idea of testing and and the scientific process that i don't even think we've considered right i mean like because we can we can grind up each prey item and know what's in it and the percentages and things like that and know you know how an animal digests it and then the nutrients that it needs and so we know what to offer these animals for their health like we're, we're already aware of that and with gut loading and you know these diets and, and things um those are all things we're already aware of and so we know what to provide we don't always know why they're picking it, right? Like you, uh, oh, ball pythons only take African soft birds, or it only takes the gray rat, or whatever. And then you have a bunch of people who were like, "Oh, that's nonsense," but it's not. It's it's anecdotal evidence. But any of us that have been around for a long time, 
have that one stupid snake that only eats chicks or the one thing that, you know, so on. And so we all have those anecdotes. Ryan says, yeah, my phone is like going off. That's, that's the problem with live streams. People can hear you and just, ah, let's see. Ryan sent me, Ryan, I hope you post this pic because I'm talking about it to a grand total of five people on a live stream, but it'll go out to more people when I publish the episode. Ryan has sent me a picture of an Azanthic rhino rat, which is an epic snake anyway, um, under UVA. You can see the yellow pigment, which is pretty cool um, for people like me that I struggle seeing some colors anyway. So when you start to manipulate the light, I, I really enjoy it because it lets me see things that I might otherwise miss. Um, but anyway, the super gnarly thing, other than just the fact that the picture looks like an epic blue dragon, uh, you can see the neurosensors along the lateral line, which we had some knowledge of, but for the average person to be able to actually visualize that and I don't, I don't know that it will, I don't know that it will, I don't know, like massively alter what it is that you're doing, but I think for a quote unquote, <laughs> a quote unquote, um, pet keeper level, a private keeper, you know, non-academia, whatever you want to call it, uh, to be able to visualize those things. It, it helps. It, it makes it, I don't know, more serious. I don't know. That sounds stupid because people get all up in their feelings about it. But like the, the direction that Ryan and Erica and, and the folks that I nerd out with, Bill Stewart and, and people like that are going is, it is more serious, right? Like it's not, it's not just being a pet keeper, which Ryan and Erica and Ann and all these folks are pet keepers. They super enjoy their reptile hobby, but it's, it's like massively altering how we look at things. And then, Oh yeah, this is fun. I'm keeping leopard geckos. Cool. But then you can also observe cryptic basking in high desert elevation animals from the middle East, which is what a leopard gecko is like it. It, it is more in depth and involved if you want it to be and it we didn't really have the option before like you could be a big nerd and read books and read articles and stuff and talk to nerds like me but it wasn't as actionable i guess um and now we're folks are developing tools that allow those things to be acted on right we stole some lights from the fish hobby and and manipulated some stuff and people got really fancy with ink birds and timers and, and cool things like that. And we were kind of doing the best that we could, but the, the idea now of being able to integrate those things, I think we're, it feels like to me that most of my nerdy friends are trending toward the dart frog style of stuff where when you look in this box, it's a chunk of wherever that animal is from and you're trying your best to recreate it. And with 
like I fully recognize that you can breed a corn snake in a drawer and it works. You put boys and girls together and they make more of themselves. A lot of reptiles are pretty simple, but that doesn't discount like how gnarly it is to see a oaky tea corn snake in a mock-up of a South Carolina pile of ditch weed with a fence post in it. That's super cool. And, you know, to be able to manipulate their day-night cycle, they're, uh, we're going to put them down for three months because we follow the cookie-cutter recipe from folks like MPR and how to breed carpet pythons. And it turns out it kind of works for colubrids, too, where you stop feeding them around Halloween and shut them off at Thanksgiving and turn them on at uh, Valentine's Day. Like, yes, that works. But what if we also mess with the light? or also mess with the UV or like we hear folks talk a lot about, you know, there's, there might be like seven triggers to get weird stuff to breed. Okay. Turns out like king snakes and corn snakes and ball pythons need two, <laughs> you know, white lips or weirdo things. Maybe they need five and Maybe Bolins need all seven and one dude in Europe with some aquariums figured it out. Like we, we don't, we don't know enough. We feel like we do because we're successful with a lot of stuff, but the people that are not successful and are just over and over and over again, trying, listen to how they talk where they're like, no, no, I, I know all that. I do all of the things that everybody else does with my species and then I don't get the results everybody else does. It's like, okay, we're missing something. Cool. Let's, let's nerd out and, and start just falling down the rabbit hole. And then Ryan and Erica put like 17 mushrooms down the rabbit hole for us to fall onto. And Erica already looks like a Cheshire cat where she's grinning, listening to my nerdery. Cause she just said she's added around her phone. So she's now number 10. Ah, oh, my phone keeps dinging. Um, which I am I'm happy for. Thank you for sending me things and, and sharing things because I will continue to nerd out about them with you. Um, <laughs> yes, Erica, nerd power. I'm I'm glad you guys are at NARBC selling laser lights to people that keep lizards in boxes. Um, I think it's going to really help people take the next next step. I I hope it does. Um, <laughs> my chat is just people talking to each other who are at dinner. It's fantastic. Um, I super wish I was a total thing that no one else in the podcast listening or who downloads this episode will care about. Do you guys remember when we went out for sushi and Dave Kaufman was like deliriously tired and then Ryan ordered, I think like a whole table full of sushi. And then we talked about like the most obscure, ridiculous crap. That's pretty awesome. That, folks, is why you need to go to reptile shows and go to your local herpetological society uh, so you too can eat snacky foods and discuss high level academic topics uh, about frogs and other small, slimy animals that are quite fantastic. Um, no, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so happy that that's going to continue. I think you guys are, are killing it. Uh, thank you for calling me a Judas and yes, I do also use Arcadia products. 
Uh, I like to mix and match, which don't give me your nonsense. Uh, Ryan and Erica are fully aware of how that functions. And <laughs> yes, the boat. Um, no, uh, on the VivTech Arcadia thing, because people ask me about it all the time because they know that I'm friends with Ryan and Erica. Um, I use both and both have a purpose and a use. When you talk to folks like the Chameleon Academy podcast, you should listen to that. It's amazing. Um, they talk about how to set up their chameleons uh, in very specific ways, using plant lights and full-length tube lights uh, to best build an enclosure using vertical gradient for their specific set of lizards. And it's perfect. It is, well, it's as perfect as it's perfect it's going to be. You know what I mean? But to do what I was just talking about, where I want to look at heat and UV and the choices an animal makes, that doesn't work for me. Because if I used a full-length tube, I would have to build shade structures and, and do different things inside of the enclosure. And I wouldn't necessarily be able to know what it is that the animal was doing. With VivTech, using that spotlight, I, I know. I put it here. I aimed it where I wanted it to go. This is where the exposure is, and I can measure it. And so I know the choices that my animals are making. Um, Lisa says, I have some ATBs in a planted lighted enclosure, but no UVB. For now, they only come out when the lights go out, but I plan to add some VivTech, and I'm curious to see if their habits change. Uh, I can tell you, Lisa, that as far as ATBs go, when exposed to UV, uh, their habits will change. <laughs> um Amazon tree boas are known for being just lunatic bitey animals, and that's not necessarily always the case. Uh, they're kind of high strung and they're arboreal predators. So when they come in, Lisa knows all this stuff. I'm just in general talking to people that want to listen to me rebel. Um, they come in high strung and they're bitey and captive bred ones have actually been shown to be pretty cool and sort of chill out as chill as a bitey tree snake is going to be. Um, but exposing them to UV um, has been shown to, I don't know how to verbalize, like key them up. Uh, they're going to pay attention and you better be paying attention or you're going to get teeth in your face <laughs> because they are, um, they are smart. They have incredible vision and they have very pointy teeth. Uh, much like the ETBs and green trees and all that good stuff. I was actually, uh, I think the trick will be to make sure they can pass cryptically. Lisa, yes, we should nerd out on this. So I was just talking to the folks in the Herpeticulture Network uh, group chat that I want to, uh, actually, courtesy of Ryan and Erica years ago, I have two uh, vertical enclosures with nothing in them currently that I want to nerd out with this on. I would like to set up using that chameleon idea from the Chameleon Academy folks of vertical gradient, right? Integration for heat. So I, I like uh, those deep heat projectors. A radiant heat panel should do the same thing. Just pick your poison. Um, vertical gradient. And then 
tube or spotlight. I currently like the idea of Vivtex spotlight because I agree with Lisa that I think it will allow me to more easily build shade structures to where I know because I can measure it, right? So I can put my measurement underneath the leaf, outside the leaf. And then as I'm doing my horizontal perching with those gradients and leaf cover, I can pick and choose and know what the animal is being exposed to, which means the animal can then pick and choose what it's being exposed to. Um, so yes, in short, not in short, I was talking a lot, Lisa, I 100% agree. I want to do the same thing with an ATB, a green tree, and an emerald tree boa. I was at a reptile show, I almost bought an emerald tree boa. They're kind of expensive for imports that I really don't want to die. And they're beautiful and i didn't buy it because i'm an adult but i'm not i'm actually a nerdy reptile kid i just have adult money but i didn't buy it i really wanted to travis wyman you were there i didn't buy it um i bought some other dumb things not that particular one but i think we should start keeping green snakes on sticks and their halloween colored cousins uh, very similar to chameleons. And I think, I think we will have some super cool results. I think we're going to bit a lot more often because those snakes will be able to see better and might be a little more hormonally interested. Um, it feels like green trees at this point and a little bit Amazon tree bows are also kind of cookie cutter as far as folks that breed them, but they have some weird issues where, Oh, these are a little difficult. I had problems with so-and-so and I'm not really sure why. Maybe some of that um, is involved. I don't know enough about them to... It's totally speculation. I don't know enough about them. But I am convinced that if we apply some of that chameleon knowledge for vertical gradients, shade structure, and how we build those things into... The keeping of those snakes that we will find success i am absolutely convinced of that i, I think that is a for real thing um, doo -doo -doo. we hear the same feedback you mentioned about the atbs and etbs about other arboreal snakes including mangshans yeah that makes sense to me i think i was actually just talking to somebody uh the mangshans made me think of that um there are army camo gnarly green snake right they they're hiding they're they're ambush predators um so that i don't necessarily know if that to me that's not cryptic basking right the idea being that that snake could theoretically sit fairly exposed because it looks so much like the environment around it right that it wouldn't necessarily be underneath the leaf cover. It might be intermittently, but it's probably fairly exposed because it mimics the leaves so well. Yeah, I, I know there's incoming things. I'm, I'm, I'm watching. I promise you I am reading texts and messages. Um, holy crap, not reading that much. That's not even you guys. That's other people. Sorry. Um, 
it could also be the addition of true UVA changing the hormonal balances of their brains so that they can act normally. Yes, I agree that strictly from the herpeticulture, uh, a bunch of us nerds that keep animals, right? I, I'm very stuck on the idea of, um, if you can't tell, I listen to all of the THN stuff. I listen to NPR um, and I listen to uh, Community Academy and a bunch of other crap. But I, I consume a lot of this content and a lot of us are, I feel like circling the same ideas. Um, and you hear that idea for um, quote unquote difficult to breed snake species of the the number of triggers, right? I'm I'm looking at Vin Russo's book about boa constrictors. I'm super mad I didn't leave that book at home so Teresa could ask him to sign it at NARBC. But um, people, he he's notorious. It's hilarious to listen to him on podcasts because people ask him about boa constrictors, and he feeds things seasonally, and he he does everything seasonally, and people keep asking him questions about it and he just what do you do oh i do it seasonally oh how do you feed seasonally like it he he has found his triggers and he follows them and is successful um and then you see folks with liasis looking at you lisa breeding uh cool stuff that trends that way um who are successful and when you, Lisa is actually a wonderful example when you, when you talk to Lisa and, and hear Lisa in interviews, she just did what everybody else did and, and what they told her to do and it worked. And it's like, well, it didn't work all the time for everybody else though. But what you, you just said, you just did what oh, I did what they said and then I had success. All right. Let's start breaking down all these variables. So then all these nerds are sitting around trying to break out these variables. And then you get to talking to somebody like Ryan and the idea of the addition of UVA altering hormone cascades in these things is, is huge. And I, I'm kind of that, that makes me think monitors. I don't have any idea why it just does, but I am a huge proponent. I've always, I was like, why are Indonesian monitors not more popular? They're beautiful. They're not very big. They do all sorts of cool stuff. They dig and swim and climb and are blue and spotted and, and <laughs> are like, they're awesome. Right. And then we had great luck breeding water monitors in North America. And we had great luck breeding Australian dwarf monitors, quote unquote, and actually most Australian monitors. And they just didn't really happen. Now, some folks have bred Dumerils and, and some other things and, and have had some success. But decades after I started doing this and thought they were cool, and it just never, never really happened all that much. Some people got really into tree monitors and some folks here and there bred those, but not nearly as much as you would think for 
like a blue tree monitor it dude it's blue like it's a blue oh my god blue lizard and it's like man why why did people not just head first dive into that and and knock them out like what why are you guys going water monitor and black throat and and giant stuff and it's like well you just feed the giant stuff a lot keep them hotter than the blazes and they blast out eggs and babies and then you just feed the crap out of those you keep them hotter than the blazes and they blast out baby and you're like okay so they need like one or two triggers well that's cool what about all this indo stuff oh they're nuts blue tail i i personally think blue tail monitors are the the prettiest thing you could ever put in a lizard package ever and they're notorious males will kill females they're crazy the breeding for those or the attempted breedings are a bloodbath it's just bonkers you know all these indo tree monitors they hide in tree holes they run like crazy they'll claw the crap out of you blah 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 on and on and on but they're beautiful it's like oh man what what is going on well lo and behold you get folks nowadays modern setups nice lighting all these different things and i just in the thn group go on instagram look at peach throat passion dude's knocking it out feeding them off tongs running all over them just wonderful kai fan dude's got crazy endo monitors aiden with the dumarils just crushing it and i i got to think it's because we have improved our technology and we've upped our level of care like we're we're adding triggers some somewhere along that we we might not know necessarily what those triggers are but there are folks that are hitting them because they're having the success that they're having right like i I tease Mike Stefani and, and I love him and he he's old school dirt water, keep them real hot. He just feeds the crap out of them and, and buddy, they breed and man, he, he has success and they, the setups he uses with the water base and the hides and his Mertens are running around acting a fool. You get a guy like Skylar following the same idea with peach throats, but in, in the big cool planted stuff and and i i swipe that idea sitting over here is a box full of plants the the zippered kind similar to what he has um took old school quote unquote guy like mike took that idea really in my opinion just ramped it up through the roof and and he's got peach throated giant dragons running all over his head eating bugs and fish and meat bits off of tongs it's epic um man i'm i'm telling you i i really think there's a lot to what ryan and eric are doing and ryan's ideas of exposure to uva really affecting hormone cascades in some of these species we know it affects basically all of them but the necessity of that effect i think we aren't placing enough emphasis on potentially for these quote unquote hard to breed or hard to care for species um 
I'm, you guys know I'm a nerd for weird stuff. Um, I, ha I was talking to some of the folks in, in a group chat that I'm in, and I had said something about the UV lights. And people were asking me about LEDs and all these different things. And um, and I said, oh, I use Arcadia. I use VivTech. Here are the things that I use and, and so on and so forth. And and the response was, I, I don't know enough about that. You know, um, I keep dirt snakes. Oh, it was Harry. Harry said that, I think. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, into the dirt snakes. And I was like, well, that's that's nonsense, man. Like, I was keeping those centipede eaters. And those things cryptically bask, but they're seeking UV and they're little, little bitty coral snake looking tiny guys. And they're like pushing out of the leaves and, and putting coils out coils. They're smaller than my pinky finger, but pushing out and they're actively seeking to bask in UV, which is something I was told by other keepers and had read about them. And again, notoriously difficult to keep uh i ended up losing mine over a span of time um like most folks i actually was able to source uh centipedes fairly easily because i had smaller specimens i was feeding north american centipedes um and it just you know slowly lost them over time um which unfortunately is is pretty well known for those animals um but I'm more and more convinced it is because I didn't go full dart frog nerd with them. I, I am almost utterly convinced that that is where my failure was with those animals. Um, yet another thing, you, you guys hear us talk about it on the network all the time, but the, I, I'll keep referring back to black box and, and all these other folks. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to build the crap out of some of their enclosures for some really epically ridiculous things. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. Uh, Teresa and I were talking about just a handful of different things of, of different ideas of how to stack their stuff and um, different lengths and sizes and things, because we have a, a very diverse collection and how we could best accomplish that um, because they're very lightweight and easier for us to move. Uh, we're thinking about altering some of our enclosures uh, going over that direction just so that we can kind of better assemble things. Um, but for me, that went to, oh, yeah, that that will work. Like Teresa and I can play Tetris and, and build these things against the wall so that it looks nice and doesn't weigh 50,000 pounds. Um, but also <laughs> because they will do the cuts and the CNC uh, that would really allow us to, well, let's get UV spots for all these crazy North American rat snakes. Let's, I have friends that keep things out of West Texas and friends that keep things out of Florida and North Carolina and South Carolina. And oh, we can start to get really nerdy um, and not even have to do exotics. Like I, I have tons of North American things to just get ridiculous with. We're gonna going to do chuckwallas at some point because they're awesome. They're North American. And I don't know how we're so successful with Euromastics, but we haven't done those yet. We're missing the boat. Phil. Philip Leets. Arid's only epic 
you're a Mastix guy. We should all pitch in and buy him Chuck Wallace. Totally separate subject. Um, no, I, man, I'm telling you, I think going forward, it's going to be super cool. I was teasing people um, with NARBC being this weekend, and um, we're in a uh, part of her pediculture where some folks are moving on collections and are not going to breed or, you know, moving out of some of the pet species, uh, you know, crested geckos and ball pythons and bearded dragons a little bit. And some things were discounted and, and I saw um, some sale items and things like that. And people were asking me about that. Um, and that, you know, that's market fluctuation stuff. That's just how it goes because they're a pet and they're a living thing, but they are bought and sold as a commodity. And that's just how commodities markets work. So, you know, they're, that kind of is what it is there that that's going to happen in the way that the market economics will play out. But, um, for me, what I was tending to see more was yeah some of the pet type beginner quote unquote things that i i have crested geckos and leopard geckos and corn snakes and, and i love them um but i also have um a lot of friends that are on the much more nerdy spectrum obviously based off this conversation um and that part of her pediculture from my vantage point or i guess in my echo chamber of social media, man, it's cranking. It is, it's doing really well. Uh, people are having a lot of success with really cool stuff. And then, you know, the, the ebb and flow of that, I think is a little bit insulated, I guess. Um, there, you know, money is involved and people buy and sell geckos and snakes and, and whatnot and so forth. But, the usually those animals are probably a little less produced the market's a little smaller um but the market is usually a little more dedicated like you if you're into uh red bearded dragons you know your choices are pretty broad for where to get those and so you can sale shop and look for a boy or look for a girl or you know those kinds of things um if you want like i don't know rhino rats or e egyptian uromastics you want serratophora you want um dude any of the micro gecko nerds right you you can go to like four people they might have them they might not uh, if you want to be on the list, you got to get on it. You, you know, it's it just takes a little more dedication, I guess. Um, so I doesn't feel like those markets are as affected. Um, where they are affected is exoterras and enclosures and lights and, and things like that. Like all of those things are benefited greatly by a million people keeping a leopard gecko or whatever. Uh, and then five of us that want to keep 
a gecko or a snake from a similar part of the world that isn't as common but needs the same equipment and so like we're we all benefit greatly from that and so there are effects when you see a softening of a softening of the crested gecko market or a softening of the bearded market or what have you um but i it just doesn't seem to be affecting the more nerdy species uh i guess kind of time will tell on that because obviously some of those are a little bit more expensive because they are a little rarer um that you know that always plays a factor for some folks justin munsterman just got home from tinley five minutes ago i know man i yeah i uh am transitioning to having sunday and monday off uh as evidenced by the fact that i am on a podcast right now uh but i did not have it off this weekend and so uh conveniently for the government but not for me and my reptile friends uh i'll have sunday monday off when reptile shows are done with <laughs> um yeah yeah it sucked uh, the it's a little bit more difficult the october show obviously is the start of the holiday season uh how vacation and leave and a bunch of stuff that doesn't affect all you guys uh in my job gets built like three months in advance and so um I have to put all those things in and I just recently transitioned to a new position. And so new guys pick last <laughs> kind of thing. And I had uh, weekday uh, days off for quite a while. I was the new dude working weekends, uh, that kind of thing. And so uh, it just didn't work out that way. So I, I went from a bunch of summer deployments to being the new guy in my spot. And now I am through the new guy phase and back to my normal uh, Sunday, Monday days off. So that will let me continue to do the podcast uh, a little bit more regular. So I'm excited for that. I hopefully this summer was able to kind of keep up with you guys a little bit. If you saw, I was in the American Southwest uh, a handful of times. I got to do some pretty cool field herping. So I tried to share some pictures of that. I saw a Gila monster. Uh, in person for the first time that was pretty gnarly uh, if any of you were wondering uh, that was drinking rainwater off a road next to the mexican border <laughs> so that was pretty cool i saw a mexican black king snake uh, in the united states as it had crossed over for mexico that was probably one of the more unique uh, herping experiences of my life to be standing next to the country uh, of a namesake for the animal and then have it come over to my country um it was a very surreal experience i was i had a lot of fun with that um the american southwest uh you know everybody hears about west texas and and gray band king snakes and all that stuff um the older folks i'm talking like in their 70s older folks uh who california uh arizona west texas like these places that you know when we think about oh, california king snake localities and then you know which highway road sign is your gray band king snake from like those old school folks i actually got to meet quite a few of them just three o'clock in the morning driving out on some road that doesn't have a name and you'd see a little pickup truck doing 
five miles an hour with their flashers on, um, which in my line of work usually means I got to go talk to them. And um, like I, the one dude had a license plate that said herping. And everybody was like, what, what is this guy? Who, who is this dude? Uh, and he's an older guy. This is weird. I got out of my truck and I was like, holy crap, I know what that is. He had a snake hook in the back. And yeah, no, I, it was super cool. Uh, I got to meet a lot of those folks. Um, yeah, it, that was, uh, that was a lot of, a lot of fun in a unique circumstance to run across some of those folks. Uh, I did, I'm um, not to talk badly about folks who are uh, older, but, um, they obviously weren't, you know, they didn't listen to the podcasts and, and didn't know about the network or our Facebook groups or whatever. Um, but some of them did have Facebook and, and things like that. And, and I told them about, you know, our groups and NPR and THN and, and, oh, hey, you should, you know, follow these folks or, or here's how to get Instagram or, you know, those kind of things. Um, so uh, some of those folks did find their way to seeing the podcast and things like that. Um, so yeah, for real, the bald bearded dude. Um, I really am a, a reptile guy. I, I wasn't trying to scare you when I got you out of your vehicle. Um, yeah, that's, that's going to be a, a niche of a niche audience to see this podcast, but um, I have a fairly memorable look to my face. Um, and in that circumstance, you'd probably remember what happened to you. So, um, I wasn't kidding. There are a bunch of reptile nerds here. I wasn't trying to scare you. Lisa says one of the most exciting things in her pediculture is setting up an enclosure and seeing your animals display natural behavior. And this doesn't have to be reproductive behavior. Just seeing your animal hunt can be thrilling. Yes. 100%. I am pretty convinced that that is why pond turtles and small insectivorous lizards uh, maintain massive popularity because it's never not cool to see a gecko tackle a bug or a bearded dragon chase a mealworm or the turtle with its permanently smiling face come up to you and take the floating reptamin stick. Um, that That's always cool. It, adults, kids, that's cool. Um, yeah. Busting my butt, getting outdoor hides full of hay for the tortoises. Yes. Same. Well, not me, Teresa and the kids. <laughs> uh, just brought tortoises in uh, and brought in all the North American pond turtles as well. Uh, our temps started to dip too. Uh, in the same boat. Yeah, it's, it's that time of year. October Tinley uh, usually is kind of the signal. Uh, it got cold fast. So we, uh, Teresa and the kids really had to, to hustle and, and get the tortoises and stuff brought in. Um, so yeah, we're, we're in the same boat, uh, actually, which will be cool. Um, on a non lizard related note again, sorry, lizard nerd folks. Um, I hopefully this year will be cooling, uh, a pair of gopher snakes in the hopes of breeding them. I got them from Chris at Badlands Herpeticulture, and we have a uh, triple het to a triple visual animal, two kinds of albinism, and a stripe. Um, 
So that should be really cool. That will be the first time uh, I've ever done that. So that'll be a lot of fun. And then Indy continues to mess around with Crested Geckos. I made TikToks uh, giving her a hard time. I am I am sorry that I have uh, TikToks made me think of it. Sorry. This episode is super rambling, but you're all listening, so I appreciate that. Um, I am slacking. Yes, Erica, a normal to a pretty. Although the normals of San Diego gophers are pretty beautiful. Um, I am slacking on my TikToks making fun of uh, the quote-unquote influencer, uh, stupid people of herpeticulture. But the next, um, it won't be relevant anymore, but I still think it's funny, so we're going to make it. The next one that we're going to do is Walter uh, feeding his softshell turtles the appropriate food, so either floating food or uh, fish pieces, um, while playing Indy's guitar uh, to make fun of a not recent anymore, but a social media video feeding a very cool uh, soft shell turtle, a grilled cheese sandwich, which was absolutely dumb. So we will make a TikTok insulting that at some point in the very near future. Uh, yes, Teresa says the one where the kids are pulling me in the turtle tub with the Pirates of the Caribbean theme playing is also the best. Um, mostly because it's Indy pulling me. And at that, I mean, she's still the smallest kid, obviously, but at that time she was like super small. So having it be her that pulled me was uh, also hilarious. Uh, I had to turn the heater on the red foots and bring the blue tongue. Yep. I would love to keep our blue tongue outside. I think that would be fun right now. I keep uh, all of Walter's North American turtles uh, we kept the side necks outside this year. That was kind of cool. And then we also keep our Russian outside. We keep our red foot outside. And we keep uh, both of our sulcatas outside. So that's always good. Um, I would really like the front. So the I don't talk about it very much on the podcast, but the coal black exotics thing where Teresa and I and the kids do the shows. Uh, we have a storefront that is set up as a petting zoo so that boy scouts and groups like that, that don't have their own place. They can come to us for a show instead of us going to like the library or the elementary school or whatever. Um, the front of that building is like angled away from the sidewalk. And so we can put things in front of our building. And a lot of times we, you know, we water our plants out there or whatever. And it's, it's, we don't use it as much as we would like to, but the our town that we live in is is pretty old and has a, actually a, a really nice downtown and, and big wide sidewalks and things like that. And the restaurants around us have uh, outdoor seating in front of their restaurants, and it's you know the little wrought iron fence and little tables and awnings and, and stuff like that. Um, and I would really like to somehow implement that to allow our iguanas to spend more time outdoors. Um, I'm they they're doing wonderfully with the lights that we have. Um, and I, we have, you know, had no ill effects, which is a good and bad with iguanas like the 
should your lights not be up to par, you will suffer negative effects. But those negative effects are fairly rapid and fairly obvious. And so you would know if you were making a mistake. Um, and so I'm, I'm very happy that using DP projectors and we use the VivTech UV for them and, and things like that, we've been very successful. But um, I still would like to, in some way, let them experience that. And I, I'm not sure how I'm going to accomplish it. But it won't be outdoors because um, I'm, I have no confidence in the public's reaction to large snakes. But um, I really want to further expose our large pythons to full spectrum lighting. Um, I think that will make, I think that will make a, a lot of difference in, in the ideas that Ryan is speaking to with UVA affecting their hormones and things like that. I, I currently think we treat large constrictors the way we treat large monitors in that keep them warm for most large constrictors you got to keep the humidity up um, you feed the crap out of them and they will just pump out babies um, but most of the time historically they're just they're jerks right like big retics are, are mean blah 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 um, we've shown that that was an anecdote of imported animals and that a lot of captive bred animals are, they chill out. Um, males still get pushy when they're looking for a lady friend and they're, especially with retics are able to slash as opposed to bite. Uh, they, they can be not fun to play with. And then really big girls like our, our really big girls. Uh, they'll just shove you out of the way. They they have no no use for big monkeys. Um, but I think that we can maybe not alter their behavior, but I think that we could manipulate it um, to make them easier for us to manage. What I mean by that is our our very large retic, right? She got out one time, and they're very smart. And so she knows I, you can go out that door. I, I know that you can go out there. And so she'll bluff at you like, ha, uh, you know, and they huff and they're, they're not stupid animals. And if you back up, she'll crawl right out. She, she's leaving. She crawl out the door and she's gone. She's not coming at you. She does a button hook and goes right under the enclosure next to her. Like she knows she's leaving. She's trying to run away. Um, and then that is part of her behavior. And another part of her behavior is what a lot of people refer to as being cage defensive. And I think that that is incorrect. What I think is she has a, a very large enclosure, but it's not very well lit. And I did that because I thought right forest dweller big predator moving around uh they want to move through the dappled light when you look at them they look like dappled light on on a forest floor um, and i thought to mimic that 
would make her more comfortable. And when she's calm and she's, they're easy to work with big berms, big, re, like they're not difficult to work with until they're hungry or, you know, looking for a girlfriend or, or what have you. And then the more difficult and they're large. So the goal was to be safe and, and keep them manageable and, and how best to, uh, or as best I can to dictate their behavior in the way that's safest for us. And what I think is happening is that they are, they're very comfortable in their space and they, a little bit, yeah, they probably are defending it, but I think that's because we built the space to feel like a burrow. I think we're, we're on the triggers thing again. And I think we're hitting triggers in their brain of, I can push on the sides of this. I can come out toward you. The door open, like the, the layout of these things is such that it looks like a defensible position to them. And so they defend it. Right. And we don't really have a way of knowing like sometimes the retic is out cruising around. And if you open the door, she'll just cruise around. And sometimes you, you can observe some things that should, that will give you indicators, but sometimes she's kind of half out, half, half cruising around. She's so big that half of her can be doing something and half of her not. And you open a door or you're going to clean a water and she's, she's ready. She's what's going on. I'm, I'm looking, you know, and then maybe we get a little huffy. We get a little defensive. Right. And I think that the layout of these enclosures, despite the fact that they're large, they're dimly lit they're It's hot and humid and, and all the nice things that she likes everywhere and so when she gets in the mental space of i'm this is my space i'm going to defend it you're kind of stuck right until she doesn't want to be like that anymore <laughs> anymore right like there there are certain things we can do to manipulate these animals and certain things that we can't and so what i want to do is alter the space I'm keeping them in to let me manipulate it in, in more ways. So what I think I'm going to do is light the whole thing up, full spectrum, lit, UV basking area. I think I want to do that. I don't, I don't want to fully expose with tube UV because she's she's too big she'll trash plants and stuff and if it's fake ones she's just gonna trample them and it, i think the maintenance for us would be very difficult so i i'm leaning toward spotlight uv so she can make her choices what, what have you just an easier build for us right and then somehow segregate you know i 
a huge tote. I don't, I don't know, something, some like a, maybe a really big Christmas tree tote or whatever. And then you are, you're limiting the, the dark, humid, tight space, right? So if she's in the Christmas tree tote and we have a show to do, yeah, well, not today. You know, use, use the berm, use the boa, do, use something else, right? Because she is in a space that she's going to hold the sides, defend, right? Whereas if this whole enclosure is lit up full spectrum light and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, the UV's blasting and the lights are out and she's out wandering around. All right, well, then she's in the I'm wandering around the forest mode. So now we can we can do this, right? It lets us visualize, I think, a little bit better. It keeps us, I think, safer because now we're making choices like, oh, hey, she's in the box. We could we could almost treat it like a venomous thing, right? Like I could just slide the end of the box closed and be like, all right, we'll stay in there. <laughs> I'll clean out your water and do what I'm doing. Um, you know, and, and you could extrapolate that to smaller things, of course. You know, your short tails and ring pythons and, and these things that they don't really like us. They're really pretty, but you're probably gonna get tagged if you put your hand in there. Um you know, you could start to manipulate their space in such a way that you you know, like, oh, it's in there. Don't do that. You know, you you need to adjust your actions accordingly. We have a Dumerils boa the same way. If you can't see the Dumerils boa, look harder. You'll find his nose and his eyes and really don't reach in there because you're going to get smoked, right? Like he's doing Dumerils boa stuff, right? If he's out, like knocking over the water bowl, doing snake things, slide a hook in there, pick him up, do what you got to do, clean it. You're fine. You're fine. He doesn't care, right? He's not in the mode. And I, th I think we can, through infrastructure and enclosures, through manipulating lighting and, and things like that, I think we can further this along to better manipulate the space that they occupy to let us do what we want to do, right? I We're a little weird about that anyway, as far as her pediculture goes, because it's still my pet, right? Like, oh, why aren't yellow anacondas more popular? Because they're jerks. They bite people and nobody likes that, right? Like, I don't, I don't like it. I like my yellow anaconda, but I wish it didn't try to bite my face. Like that, it's a pet. Like, I, I don't want having a pet to suck. So we need to, we need to manipulate these things to make it more enjoyable for us. Like it's still a hobby. Like it, it has to be a positive other than like I get, I morally get an intrinsic value from keeping this thing healthy and alive. Like I, I'm not awful. I don't just want to kill it or let bad things happen to it. But I also want me to get the enjoyment out of it because I'm actually a human and that's just my pet. Like there has to be some balance there, right? Like I'm I'm sure the retic would rather just ignore me and never see a giant monkey again and, and not go to the birthday party. But that's what we do and that's what you're here for. So let's go do that. Like I need to has to be a balance of safely and 
keeping it healthy for the animal to do to do both right i don't know that one's going to get me some messages and texts i'm sure <sighs> did you I'm on the same page, Bill. I've been thinking the same thing about my white lit pythons. I don't think it's actually cage defense. Yes. Lisa, I I love listening to you talk in, in interviews, by the way, Lisa. Uh, you are on my list, even though you people don't think of you as a lizard nerd. Uh, you are incredibly observant about your animals, and I think that is why you have been very successful. Um, for those that don't know, Lisa has been on other podcasts. You should Google uh her name listen to her on npr it's very funny um if if you're not super into reptile podcast uh nerd things owen is a co-host on npr he at one time was obsessed with white lit pythons uh and struggled with them greatly <laughs> lisa has been very successful with them and so uh the other co-host eric was able to just spend a whole bunch of time teasing Owen. Uh, we all gave him a hard time in group chats and, and chats like this uh, at listening to Lisa's success. So that it's, it's really funny. Uh, you'll also learn a lot. Like I said, she is incredibly observant for her animals. Uh, it's very worthwhile to listen to um, just how another keeper views things and then how they react to what they're seeing. Because it could be that you aren't seeing the same things is possible. Um, but what is more likely is that you and another keeper are seeing the same thing and then reacting in different ways. And so hearing how other people react to something is, I think, equally as helpful as, hey, what, what did you see there? Oh, well, I saw that too now what right if, if we both saw the same thing but you had a different result it's because you did something afterward that i didn't do so i i'm very interested in in how other folks do that uh yes and i i know you keep skinks lisa you have also been successful with the skinks um which i was excited to see because i love those things those uh fire skinks that was fantastic i saw you uh, right after doing an episode about fire skinks and, and thought about that very thing. Um, again, another animal uh, for those who, if you listen to that episode or, or if you didn't and you want to go back and check it out, um, listening to the way he viewed fire skinks and interacted with them and it, he's a super big nerd for him which is great. I loved it. And that's all it was. Oh, I saw this and this is what I thought. And then, so I did this or I changed that, or I thought maybe they wanted this or, I, and it was, it was all about observe and react or observe and, and don't do anything because you, you got a positive outcome or, or what have you, but it was super observational, observationally driven. It was awesome to hear him talk. Um, and then to see Lisa's uh, success after that with the same species was also very cool. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be good. I need to talk to Erica and Ryan about their little Velociraptor projects. Uh, I see their posts and they are doing 
quite a few of the same things of observe and for them, a lot of it is honestly observe and report because they tell us what they see, but um, observe and react or observe and, and see the outcomes of the changes you are making. And then they have the added benefit of, oh, we're trying out a light or trying out a controller or what have you. Uh, so there's a lot more um, reactionary things to see the changes that you're making. I think that would be a really fun topic to nerd out on. And then maybe we can get another response, Erica, of a customized video talking to us about our crazy UVness. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that episode was very hilarious. And I got many, many responses about the UV thing. People feel very strongly about it, which we knew going into it. That made it a lot of fun uh, to continue to do. We are at an hour and a half, so I think I'm going to ramp this one up because I've been rambling about all sorts of stuff and a bunch of snake things that aren't lizards, so that should be interesting to hear what people have to say. Um, I have a schedule now that will allow me to keep doing every other Sunday like we were doing before, so the plan is to continue uh, on that vein. And currently... Uh, as I told you guys at the start, and for, for folks that don't might not know if you came in late or listening to this, um, I'm in Pennsylvania, and the kids and Teresa are still in Illinois. So I was able to go to things like um, Carpet Fest, and I've been able to go to the Northern Virginia Reptile Show, and I have gone to Hamburg. Uh, I haven't gone to Oaks yet. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, I missed Daytona this year, unfortunately. Uh, Daytona falls every year around Teresa's birthday, so that is always going to take some scheduling. It also typically is the start of school for us in Illinois, so that one is a little tricky for us. But, um, while I am in a different part of the country, uh, I have been trying to go to the reptile things that are out here. Uh, unfortunately, obviously, I miss things like Tinley sometimes due to work. But while I'm out here, I, I am trying to go to some of the East Coast stuff. So if you are an East Coast person or you see me at one of those or there are more of those that I don't know about because I'm not out here, um, you know, send me a message. Tell me where to go. Um, don't be like me and Travis Wyman who ra literally ran into each other at the reptile show in Manassas, Virginia. Like, like, I'm not joking. He ran directly into me. I turned, I looked right at him. He had a mask on. He looked at me. He said, excuse me, sir. I said, oh, sorry. And I kept walking. I went all the way through that show. I sat down in my car and I went, oh my God, I think that was Travis. Cause we've only actually met like one other time. So like, I, I don't, see all of you folks who are in this part of the country or in Southwest or in California or these other, I got, we don't see each other often enough. Uh, I'm not at a lot of these events because I was a Midwest guy my whole life. Um, so yeah, if, if you're at those or you know of those and, and go to ones that I, I don't go to or, or haven't listed before, tell me, I'll, I'll go, we'll go hang out, talk about lizards, check stuff out. Um, I've had a blast at all the ones so far. 
they're obviously a little bit smaller than something like Tinley because it's gigantic, but like the Northern Virginia one, super cool. There's always neat stuff to see there. Um, the Hamburg is not nearly as crazy as everybody says that it is. I don't, it's the, has like a really bad reputation or whatever, but um, they have a crap ton of really cool turtles and they had some very neat lizards the last time I went. And I'm in a part of the country where I can see uh, venomous stuff at a show, which was super crazy to me. Uh, I just sat there and stared and took a bunch of pictures. Um, and the, everybody labeled nice, you know, locked, put away, very professionally done. I was, I think Hamburg, Hamburg has outgrown its bad reputation. I was, I was very happy to go there. Um, Christopher, thank you for saying that before I ended the episode. Amphibicast. I didn't mention that one earlier. That podcast is awesome. Um, I keep plugging other people's stuff, but I, I don't care. Um, dude, I listen to that all the time. It is super cool. Um, the, the frog people, man, get so in-depth. Um, you think Latin names for snakes and lizard nerds are bad? Start talking to people who talk about Latin names for plants. I, I just give up and start Googling while they're talking. It's, I love listening to them. Uh, it's, it's so fun. Um, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. It was, it was, that's a really good show. Justin Musterman says, I will be at Hamburg on the 21st. You should come, even though it's not the most savory. <laughs> it, it is, you know, it's a little, older school reptile show of like dudes that look like me um with you know tattoos and leather but uh i mean i look like me and i go so i'm not unsavory <laughs> um i i had a great time at that show i saw all kinds of really neat stuff um it, the this part of the country if you are into turtles fascinating uh, there are a bunch of people in this part of the country that keep morelia uh, having incredible carpet python collections uh if a guy like justin is there you're gonna see super crazy lizards um so i mean it for whatever detractors that show has um it definitely has the diversity to to make it worth going just to see stuff like i i didn't buy anything i just went there to see it i thought it was really cool go eat a hot dog walk around look at cool stuff i miss keeping white's tree frogs but not feeder insects yeah yeah the downside to most amphibians is the feeders um i would be neck deep in plants and dart frogs if i didn't totally suck at doing fruit flies i am i'm not good at it i don't know why i'm not good at breeding roaches either i don't I can keep them and they make babies, but not a lot. Justin said, don't eat the hot. I already ate the hot dogs. I ate the, is that, should I not have eaten the hot dog? I definitely ate a hot dog when I was there. I didn't, nothing, nothing like bad happened, but yeah, I ate one. It's a hot dog. Like you should just expect that it's gross. Like if it takes, put hot sauce on it. That's what I do. You don't put hot sauce on hot dogs in the East coast or mid-atlantic whatever you call pennsylvania 
they're gross. They're hot dogs. They're not like good. They just taste good. You just just know that. Plus, it's a hot dog at a place that like sells lizards. Like, yeah. If you can't eat hot dog with salmonella and hot sauce, then you don't keep enough reptiles. That that's my defining statement for this episode. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna log off. You should put hot sauce on your hot dogs and Cholula on your scrambled eggs. That's what I have to say for this episode. Thank you guys for hanging out tonight. I really appreciate it. Uh, and we will see you again in two weeks. Later. <laughs>